0: Jim Callaway,
1: And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 33rd edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today our topic is Virtual Lawyering Goes Mainstream.
0: Sharon, perhaps we should start out by letting our listeners know what we're talking about. So what's your definition of the virtual law office?
1: You know, I actually researched that, Jim, and the surprising thing to me was that there were so many definitions. So I think I'm going to start with the definition used by Stephanie Kimbrough, one of the best-known virtual lawyers and also one of our friends. She says that a virtual law office, and the shorthand acronym is VLO, is a professional law practice that exists online through a secure portal and is accessible to the client and the attorney anywhere the parties can access the Internet. A VLO provides attorneys and clients with the ability to secure and and discuss matters online to download and upload documents for review and to handle other business transactions in a secure digital environment. Of all the definitions that I read, I like that one the best. And I noted, too, that recently Stephanie updated her definition to make it clear that a VLO can be completely web-based or it can be integrated into a more traditional law office model, which I personally think will also happen more and more often. And it's probably a very good idea to clarify up front that although you can run a VLO in a cloud, you don't necessarily have to do that. There are secure tools so that you don't, have to use cloud computing if that's not something you want to utilize or you're nervous about. So what do you think Jim? Is a virtual law office for everyone these days?
0: Well of course not, but I do think that there are a lot of lawyers who might be interested in delivery of legal services over the web. I'm going to set aside for a second the fact that lawyers may have a traditional practice and have a a VLO aspect. But the most obvious candidates for virtual law practices are lawyers who cannot practice law full time. It's hard to make money in a part time practice if you have full time lawyer overhead. And we lawyers are people and have family situations like everyone else. So a lawyer who has to care for an ailing or elderly relative might want to set up a virtual law practice because of the lower overhead, but also because of the ability to fit their work around the family needs. A lawyer who wanted to stay home with small children but retired. To full time law practice when the kids were all in school, might set up a VLO to serve a few clients, make some income, but with the primary goal of keeping their skills sharp for that return to practice. And then something I'm hearing more and more about young lawyers who thought they were going to get a job and didn't and don't have the financial backing or savings to set up a traditional bricks and mortar practice might see a VLO as the most reliable or realistic way to open a law practice. But VLOs are not just for part-time lawyers. A very experienced lawyer might decide they were tired of dedicating more than half of their gross income to the overhead of a large law firm. The Washington Post ran a story in March 2009 titled, Recession Since Lawyer's Home, Firm's trade brick and mortar prestige for a better business model and they profiled a lawyer who left the firm DLA Piper to have a virtual law practice where he now does the same work for the same clients and significant savings to the client. Sharon, I kind of wonder how hard that decision was for his clients. Same lawyer, same quality of work, no expensive building, lower cost of legal services. What do you think?
1: (laughs) I think it was a smart move for the lawyer and for the clients.
0: (laughs) And and we'll provide a link to that story in the show notes. Sharon, I assume you are familiar with some other VLOs?
1: You know, I've looked so often these last few days as we were researching for for this podcast, and, and you just... Can't begin to enumerate them all because there are so many, and I'll talk about that when we get to a couple of statistics here. But a few who are very well known or have something unusual Stephanie Kimbrough's Kimbrough Legal Services. Uh, certainly, Stephanie has been at the forefront of all this. She's writing a book on the topic, uh, she has her blog on the topic. Uh, definitely one of the people who's, who's right at the cutting edge of all of this. Uh, We have Olea LLP, which has an attorney in Toronto and one in Washington. They deliver Washington state services together, including pro bono services. We have uh, your buddy that you mentioned to me, Chuck Newton, a a Texas lawyer and would-be king of the Internet. And uh, he says he rides what he calls the third wave. The first wave was the agrarian revolution, which replaced the hunter-gatherers. Haven't heard that term in a while. The the second was the industrial revolution. And the third, the information age. And it's a lot of fun to read about Chuck and his law practice. And again, we'll post those URLs. There's also Field Fisher Waterhouse. I was really astonished to see that the United Kingdom branch of this law firm actually has a second Life office where clients and prospective clients meet with an avatar of the firm's IP partner. Isn't that wild?
0: wild? <laughs> and Second that, Life for those of you who don't know is a, essentially an online community where people interact with avatars and, and a graphical interface and, and there's a lot of business. I, I uh, saw a statistic that over thirty thousand dollars an hour is exchanged in goods for in real money for virtual goods
1: yeah so something about that is upside down, but I'm not going there because I know it has its adherence Jim I you mentioned before lower overhead and more flexible scheduling what What other benefits of a VLO do you see?
0: Well, those are definitely the the two big ones, the lower overhead and more flexible scheduling. But there's also the idea that you have a law license that is issued by state authorities, and you can now use this law license to serve clients all across the state instead of just in your local area. So I think that's one thing that people are doing. You know, Chuck's practice is primarily dealing with stay violations in bankruptcy court and prosecuting people who violate the automatic stay. Well, there's a very narrow area and if he just limited himself to one one city, he probably couldn't make a full-time practice out of it. So I see I see a lot of this this of developing expertise and and just and being able to do it all across the state and then i also see the idea of just doing some kind of routine consumer practice where mainly what you're going to do is uncontested things and and document drafting for clients and we know there's a huge need in that area if we can get the uh, cost down low enough that consumers can afford it what other benefits do you see sharon
1: well, I think they're more convenient to clients who pretty much are beginning to live online. I'm not sure how many of us have real lives anymore, but certainly we go online as a first choice. We don't use the Yellow Pages anymore. We simply go online and search, and that's, that's how people are looking for legal services as well. So we kind of have to be there. And, and to return to what you said, Jim, you're very flexible in a VLO. If you've got an Internet connection, you've essentially got your law office. I know I have a friend who's got a cabin in the Blue Ridge, and he just goes out there sometimes to look at the mountains, and if work comes in on the computer, he deals with it, but you know, most of the time he's just getting to enjoy his mountains, and I'm envious just talking about him because that's not what happens to me. So it's really a boon for work-life balance, I think. Uh, I raised uh, three daughters in the old-fashioned environment and practiced law as a solo before the days of VLOs, but I can tell you that it would have been perfect for me back then had VLOs then existed, which, unfortunately, they did not. Certainly in today's world, an online presence can expand your client base, and we have some stats about that that I'll I'll give you later. Even getting money can be simpler because you can accept online payments, even recurring payments by agreement. That certainly helps with the cash flow, and I think it makes VLOs make the uh, leveling the playing field probably something that happens a lot and makes them more competitive. On the darker side, and there are some cons, it's harder to have a relationship online. You know, that little smiley emoticon is just not the same thing as a real smile. And knowing your client personally in the past has often meant a loyal and lifetime relationship with that client for all their legal matters. So these fast online transactions, they're not really as conducive to client nurturing. So I, I'm kind of guessing that this is best suited for high-volume, low-customization work. I, I just can't imagine complex litigation being VLO work. But then I've been wrong before, and so maybe that's what will happen, and we'll get there. What do you think, Jim?
0: Well, I, I do think that there are some detriments. It would, For the lawyer, it would tend to be very isolating. Perhaps even more so than the law of practice, which is generally, I think, if you're doing complicated things, uh, fairly isolating. And I do believe that there are some lawyers who have trouble focusing, and the internet is certainly a place full of many distractions. And so, uh, working, you know, that's a problem for some lawyers. And I also think that one would really have to be very self-motivated and very disciplined and, and and wake up every morning with a schedule and and plans that you wanted to do and goals you wanted to accomplish that day. Otherwise, it would be kind of easy to slide into the, well, I have my days off, my day off because I'm going to work at night to now it's been three days I've had off and it's been a great mm-hmm. time, but I'm not generating any income and I'm already starting to get now angry emails from clients. So <laughs> I, I think that's an issue that, that we need that you would have to pay attention to so just like many things in solo law practice. I think the virtual law practice by a solo requires a lot of self-discipline. You said you had some statistics about virtual law offices, I believe.
1: Yeah, just a few, but I thought they were interesting. There was a recent British study that concluded that nearly half of the consumers would be more likely to take advantage of the convenience and low cost of virtual law offices than traditional law firms, and, and we're clearly headed that way. In the 2010 Legal Technology Survey Report published by the American Bar Association, I I was flatly astonished to see that 14% of the lawyers said that they had now a virtual law office working with clients primarily over the net and rarely meeting them in person. 56% of the respondents said they had a social media presence and 10% are now reporting getting business from their social media activity and I can certainly confirm that that has has worked for, for me as well. Let, let's let's divert from statistics a little bit, and let's talk for a moment about the ABA suggested minimum requirements for delivering legal services online. And I think the first one comes down to, and it's unsurprising, security, security, and more security, protecting our clients' confidential data. Uh, you know, you have to be aware of how systems are backing up, whether they have redundant power supplies. Are you in a data center somewhere? Where the heck is it? Is it in the United States even? Uh, do they have physical security there? Is the data encrypted in transmission? Is it encrypted in storage? People don't read the service level agreements. I can tell you that of their SaaS providers, software as a service providers. Many of the terms are very onerous. They don't understand what happens if if the company should belly up. They don't understand what's going to happen if they need to leave them and need to move the data. They don't understand the process and the charges that might apply i think sometimes lawyers forget that they must do things that they've always had to do in the paper world that they must check for a conflict of interest and be mindful of all the ethical rules they still need disclaimers and they need to talk about where they're licensed to practice in order to avoid the unauthorized practice of law, which I think is springing up a lot online, and I know I see a lot of complaints about that. I I chair the committee here in Virginia on UPL, and we're starting to see more and more of those kind of complaints. Terms and conditions should certainly be there, a retainer agreement, and oh boy, oh boy, do you need to be careful about PCI compliance if you're accepting credit cards online, which everybody is. Now that was a long and intimidating list, Jim, so take us somewhere less dark.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's important to pay attention to your risks, but let's also focus on our clients, you know, in in a Law practice is really about serving clients. Some people have one view of lawyers and and whatever, but the lawyers that I know are primarily spend their days trying to take care of their clients' problems and to provide services for their clients. And so even though we mentioned earlier about the benefits to lawyers, virtual offices are really going to be better for many clients and an increasing number of clients who are more internet savvy. But I remember representing people in family law situations and and bankruptcy that it was a real challenge for them to make appointments with the lawyer because they had to take off work and they got docked for taking off work or because their supervisor just wasn't sympathetic for them taking off at all and had to cover them, for example. So there are people who are going to really benefit by the asynchronous communication model of, you know, you giving them messages and you doing documents for them on your schedule and then they get to respond and review the documents on their schedule as long as we keep up a, a steady interchange and, and again there's not, you know, four or five days delay in the process. So I think that's gonna be interesting. I really think that Some people are intimidated by going into a lawyer's office and and sending an email or some other communication with a simple question may be the, the first way to deal with it. I, a challenge for us, of course, is always grafting the old rules onto uh, new technologies. And one of the detriments you didn't mention is it's even more dangerous to get in a conflict of interest situation when you're on the web, and especially if people uh, email you under a pseudonyms or something like that. So there's going to be a whole lot of uh, of uh, due diligence before you even respond to the simplest question other than, what is your name? <laughs> but, uh <laughs> That's the way life works. And and I do think that, that there's going to be some clients who will really enjoy this and there's going to be some who'll be really better served by it. I remember representing a long haul truck driver. Again, I know this will date me terribly, but in the days before common use of cell phones. And so coordinating with this long haul truck driver to visit even by telephone when he had to go use pay phones was really a challenge just so we could get our schedules meshed because he was rarely in Oklahoma, even though we were doing some pretty complex legal work for him in Oklahoma. There's a lot of tools that the lawyers can use, Sharon. How about a quick rundown of the tools?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of tools, and and more emerge all the time, of course, because this is growing so rapidly. But probably two of the best known are Clio and Rocket Matter, which both provide web-based law practice management services, and they have a whole list of what they can do. Stephanie Kimbrough was also the co-founder of VLO Tech, which is a very well-regarded platform for virtual law offices. They have different pricing models based on the size of the Firm, but they don't appear to have the pricing on the website or I would be telling you what, what the pricing is. You have to contact them directly. Another contender that I read about recently in the ABA Journal is an online dashboard furnished by Direct Law, a company founded by our friend Richard Gr- Granite. Clients can purchase legal documents bundled with legal advice for a fixed fee. Uh, They have a lot of state-specific forms, which generate first drafts for further customization by attorneys. It has file sharing, calendar function, e-invoicing, and voice recognition software. There's also a secure site for client communication, which helps to avoid telephone tag, which is kind of what you were talking about with your truck driver. And a monthly subscription to that is $299. And in late 2009, there were 60 law firms subscribed, so I'm sure the number has grown since then.
0: Well, I I do think there are a lot of interesting technology tools. Clearly, a laptop and an Internet connection are going to be important to have your practice. And it, and it may well be that a lawyer in the twilight of their career is going to find great flexibility in being able to travel and just notify their family that, well, I'm traveling and, and on vacation with you, but from two to four every day, I'm checking into the office over the computer. So I think that'll be an interesting concept. I'll tell you, I talked to uh, I talked with a gentleman who's pretty well known to the Twitter community, Jay Fleischman of New York, and he does consumer bankruptcy practice and makes extensive use of legal assistance, virtual assistance. So he actually intakes the data from his client and then has virtual assistants help him prepare the forms. He does more client counseling and I asked him, I said, how does that work? I did a lot of consumer bankruptcy law and there's really a lot of hand-holding involved with that. And he says, well, I just visit with my clients. He said, I use Skype. It's very inexpensive, and when my clients want to talk to me, we make an appointment. When it becomes time for the appointment, they go to their computer. I call into their computer using Skype. I have a webcam, so they see my smiling face on the screen. They have a webcam, too. I can see them, but that's not really the point. And so there's it is more personal than just an avatar. They see Jay talk to them and nod his head and answer their questions. It's not really as... Big an interruption is home, which you might think, because it's almost just like taking, you know, even if you do evening appointments, it's just taking twenty or thirty minutes off to have a quick phone call, and then you're you're back to work. It's not like you know taking off in your personal time to fight with another lawyer or something. But the other thing that was very interesting for me as a bar association employee is even though these are confidential privileged communications that he would not disclose to anybody under normal circumstances, he does save and record all of these Skype calls. So he actually has offline a collection of every conference he's ever had with the client and everything he said, providing two benefits. Number one, if there's any question about what you said raised by the client such that it raises the privilege, well you could either, you know, replay that back to the client so they can see what you said, or if there was a disciplinary investigation, you could use that. But it also helps you make sure and state things clearly and precisely in your conversations, because you know you're making a record, even though you're going to be the custodian of it, of all of your conversations. So that's one way that that we may see VLOs evolve to be even more personal service models. And I think a lot of people, if they can actually see you and, and talk with you, they're going to be a lot more likely to hire you than one of these big faceless providers like LegalZoom or some of the other internet legal service providers.
1: Well, now I have to wonder, having heard that story, if they're doing any of this from a work machine, if attorney-client privilege is going to be broken and all that stuff's going to be discoverable. I love thinking about this stuff, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he
0: mentioned he did that when they were usually at home at night, but I think that's a very good point. And probably when they build the virtual law office cookbook, that will have to be a chapter.
1: (laughs) Well, the more we do all these interesting and innovative things, it, it seems like the more sources of electronic evidence there are. And here's just another example of that. So that's amazing. Well, that's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology.
0: Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon.
1: Happy trails, cowboy.